Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey everyone, Mark Sisson here. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, brought to you from the Primal Blueprint Podcast studios in beautiful Malibu, where every day is awesome, especially today, I might add. Uh, I just got back from a nice paddle on the water, uh, feeling refreshed, and very excited about uh, speaking with my guest today. Uh, in Maine, where I grew up, we have a saying, kind of a weird one, see if it, see if it resonates with you. We went to different high schools together. So this guy and I uh, have been kind of uh, operating in parallel universes, but headed in the same direction for a long time. And um, I, I've known about him. I've been on his podcast. He's known about me. But we never really met up until recently at the uh, Bulletproof Convention. So we said, we've got to get together more often. Um, he's, he's, he's a fringe character, and that's why I love him. And, that's, uh, and as we get into this discussion today... Uh, you'll understand why, because a lot of the things that I talk about um, kind of had their genesis with something that Joe Mercola might have said. So yeah, if you hadn't guessed by now, Dr. Joe Mercola is a passionate advocate of natural medicine, a wellness champion, and a visionary who has implemented much-needed changes to our current healthcare system. As a physician for 25 years, he treated thousands of patients at his wellness center outside of Chicago, and in 1997 like back when the internet was created. Um, he created Mercola.com, now the number one natural health website in the world. A New York Times bestselling author, he's also appeared on national news media such as CNN, Fox News, ABC, uh, ABC News Today, CBS Washington Unplugged, and the Dr. Oz Show. And his recent book, Fat for Fuel, A Revolutionary Diet to Combat Cancer, Boost Brain Power and Increase Your Energy, is a fabulous look at ketogenics, and mitochondria. So we'll get into that today. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to be on your show. Pleasure to have you. And um, like I said, I didn't want to get too... Ins- hey, go ahead. But before we go any further, I want to express my deepest gratitude and appreciation for the conversation we had about seven or ten years ago, whenever we had that phone call interview, uh, and where you exposed me to, in great detail, the concept of burning fat for fuel, which was really the first time I fully understood it. So thank you for that. And it started me on a journey where I actually wound up writing that book many years later and uh, right. you know, was able to share the information with others. Well, uh, pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for that acknowledgement. And, and uh, I also want to kind of acknowledge you. I'm trying to think, if we, did we have a conversation those days about Doug Kaufman? Do you know Dr. Doug Kaufman? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 in fact, yeah, yeah. I was just with him at the, the, our uh, ACIM event two weeks ago in yeah. Orlando. So, so between Doug and you, that's how I got this anti-grain thing into my system. Um, so I got to thank you for that, and I got to thank you for. Um, oh yeah, I, you know, I wrote that. That was my first book, two thousand four, the No Grain Diet. Yeah, exactly. So um, I was still on the a little bit on the fringe. I was st- still skeptical. Like, wait a minute, grains have to be good for you because I've been eating them for forty <laughs> years, and I'm getting all this uh, energy from them. And uh, my my gut ache is really a result of my stress, and my arthritis in my fingers is really just a natural result of being older. So uh, grains can't have anything to do with that. And then look, lo and behold, I become, uh, along with you, a staunch advocate of getting rid of grains. So here we are. Um, 
Look, uh, and then you know when I I, did, I didn't mean to to be incendiary right off the bat here, but talk. Oh about, no, you know I you being that. you being on the fringe. I mean, you know, uh, earthing is something that you've been sort of talking about over the years, and sun exposure and the use of UVB UVB lamps. Um, and now today we're going to talk a little bit about EMFs. Um, I would I would venture to say that you were a hacker before it was cool. <laughs> I would say that's probably accurate, but. It- Interestingly, I took my first computer class in 1968, so I've always been a technophile, and uh, that's why I was an early adopter of the web in 1997. Right. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, that was an early adopter because, um, you know, I I started mine in 2006, so it's 11 years now, and everybody thinks of me as a dinosaur. So you're like like (laughs) pre-Cambrian. So anyway... um, Let's talk. Let's start about first of all the recent book, "The Fat for Fuel: um, A Revolutionary Diet to Combat Cancer, Boost Brain Power, and Increase Your Energy." Uh, your your main thesis in there is, in addition to fat being sort of the you know the main um, preferred fuel for the human body, you talk a lot about mitochondria and mitochondrial health. So let's go into that a little bit. Sure. I mean, that's the basis of the disease, the original catalyst. I mean, I had the firm foundation of the concept of Bernie Fat for Fuel from you as I expressed earlier, but I never really, and I interviewed Dominic D'Agostino and Dr. Seafried and many others in this area, and it just never hit me until I read Travis Christopherson's book of, of how vital this was to treating metabolic conditions, the primary example, of course, being cancer, heart disease, and all the degenerative diseases. And you may not realize this, Mark, but 50% of the United States, by conventional standards, have diabetes or prediabetes. That's one out of two people. But you know what? That number is wrong. It's actually 80% because they're using the wrong standard. They're using oral glucose tolerance or fasting glucose when you actually you need to measure insulin resistance through an through essentially an insulin oral oral glucose tolerance test or oral insulin tolerance test. So uh, when you do that, 80% of the people people in this country are pre-diabetic or diabetic. 80%. And this Oh yeah, no, it's it's no, that's a, that's a crazy number. Hey Joe, before we go any further, are you uh do you have like a headphone on or something? I do. I get some scratching. Oh yeah, okay. And, and it, it, like it's it actually, pounding I against was, something. Okay. I, I was pounding against the wire my my I traveled with my headset microphone, and the microphone busted, and the replacement's coming tomorrow. So is that better? 100% better. Okay. okay. Uh, C- continue. 80% of people have un- – well, m- some of them have diagnosed, but the majority of people have undiagnosed diabetes. With this extra 30% above the 50, it's probably 90% of the people are unaware that they have this problem. So insulin resistance, the core of almost all disease, and the secondary consequence of that is mitochondrial dysfunction. So I focus in my book a lot about that, helping people understand what the mitochondria are. You know, they outnumber us, uh, you know, on orders of magnitude. In fact, some people, experts believe that humans were developed to carry around mitochondria. <laughs> There's so many of them. But, uh, you know, with the, and they produce the energy currency of our cell, ATP, uh, and the energy density they produce actually is profoundly uh, in, uh, dense. Uh, and if you do the calculations, uh, uh, it's 10,000 times more energy than gram per gram than the sun produces. So that, that's our furnace and, and really generates our energy. And, and you do a brilliant job in your Keto Reset book too, which I, I just recently finished. So you know our books are really parallel. You don't talk a lot about the mitochondria, but you talk about the pragmatic reasons 
and and methods and how you implement essentially strategies to optimize mitochondrial function. Yeah, I think we're getting to the same um, you know the the same end goal, which is to uh, improve metabolic flexibility, and part of that is to um, is to decrease the amount of the amount of glucose that we rely on. I think uh, I know you know Dr. Ron Rosedale. And, uh, oh, sure. He's been a long-time mentor. He taught me the importance of insulin resistance, what I just mentioned, in 1995. Yeah. It was a small group of about a dozen physicians, and you know, it really changed my clinical practice forever. Yeah, same here. And, and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's been, been a good friend over the years. He kind of he disappeared. He's out of the country a lot now. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, he, he made a, a, a statement 10 years ago that will resonate me, with me forever, and that is the less glucose you burn in a lifetime, the healthier you'll be and the longer you'll live. And um, Absolutely. You know, and I, and I, that's kind of a blanket statement, and yet there's so much behind that, so much in the way of how we uh, craft a diet, an eating strategy, um, an exercise strategy, um, and then, of course, all the other lifestyle behaviors that go along with it. Well, and you've also embraced his protein concepts, which was the more recent innovation he gave to me, is to, to have that deep appreciation that excess protein is probably more dangerous than excess glucose. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, here you and I are trying to take the work of, uh, you know, some, some mad scientist who had to flee the country. Um, and Ron, if you're listening, I love you, man. Uh, but then we, you know, we're we're but we're translating into uh, you know that's uh, right the common vernacular and and putting together programs that people can use and benefit from. Yeah, you're you're an, and, and you have to be an excellent communicator to do that, and you certainly are. So thank you for your contribution in educating the public because we we need more people like you. Well, likewise, I appreciate that. So let's um, just before we move on, um, this sort of metabolic theory of disease, and particularly uh, you know the. The possibility that uh, that cancer is a, um, in many cases, largely a function of uh, of uh, mitochondrial dysfunction. What what is your stance on that? Well, I think it is the core of of most disease, along with insulin resistance. So once you optimize that, you really can improve everything. So uh, one of the ways to do that, and I didn't fully appreciate it until I had published the book, was. And you take a pretty good stance on, on helping people understand in your book the importance of intermittent fasting and, and you know gradually extending your daily fast so that you have an eating window of you know six hours, four hours, maybe starting from eight and working your way down. But that's a really powerful step. But then what I learned and appreciated primarily through some other, some other researchers like the work of Walter Longo and Panda, Sanjay Panda, that – and, and many others that when you fast for long term, because there's there's you know um, religions that have been doing this for for as long as we can tell uh, as a regular health practice, uh, but when you water fast, exclude all food but water for around th- five days or so, you you are actually act able to activate two powerful processes. One is uh, autophagy, which is removing the senescent cells. And a senescent cell is a cell that has lost the capacity to reproduce. It's just hanging around doing nothing except clogging up the system. And this could be due to aging or oxidative damage. So uh, you have to have a process to get rid of, essentially take these cells out and clean out the garbage. And the most powerful way to do that is fasting. And the other benefit that fasting does is, is, is it, it, well, in improves mitochondrial biogenesis and increases the number of mitochondria, but it also activates stem cells. And you know, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to get a stem cell transplant. 
A lot of people are doing that day, nowadays. It's it's a hot thing. But when I I had dinner with Thomas Seafried recently in Orlando at the uh, I think it was a Truth About Cancer event, and uh, he's really opposed to stem cell transplant. He's he's he's, he's concerned about even autologous transplants. Concerned about cancer complications. So so for you can get it for free. In fact, when you fast, it's less than free. Because you're not paying for food, <laughs> you're not wasting time yeah. preparing it, you're not wasting time eating it or cleaning up, so you save money big time. Yeah. And most of, the, most of the magic occurs about day three. So you can fast for a day or two, but you really need to go about day three, and the fourth and the fifth day is when you really get the benefits. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole thing about systemic uh, stem cells, like like injecting stem cells into your system and, and assuming that they're going to land in the right, in the right place – and do the right thing kind of scares me a little bit right now. It's like I'm not I'm not there yet. I haven't, and, and I'm yeah. agreeing with Seafried when he says that you know it's it, there may be some issues there. There may may be some things that we don't know about yet, and and it's become this you know the hot new therapy for repairing joints or theoretically repairing joints and things like that. And I'm just I'm not I'm not buying it yet. Um, I do well. You don't have, you don't have to do it. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I'm, so I am buying the concept that by fasting. Uh, and I've, I've been making this statement on the, in, in the podcast rounds over the past six months, and that is that all the good stuff happens to you when you're not eating. That's right. right? All of the, you know, when you're eating, you're sort of you're sort of on pause. Uh, you're you're replenishing um, energy stores. You're storing fat. You're storing glycogen. Uh, you're adding to the amino acid pool. But but the good stuff only happens when you're not eating, and that's when the autophagy happens. That's when the insulin sensitivity gets dialed in. Uh, you know, that's when the hormone regulation uh, uh, drops back to uh, uh, homeostasis and steady state. Uh, because all the things that you're doing while you're eating are, are, you know, every bite of food is a hormonal experience, right? And depending on what food you're eating, some hormones are going crazy. With you know, you got insulin, you got you got leptin, ghrelin, glucagon, all these different things that are that are responding to the signals you're putting through your mouth. Uh, so the body doesn't get a really, really get a chance to, other than store that as as energy and store it as fuel and and, and for later. There's not a lot of, in my estimation, there's a lot of, not a lot of good stuff happening until you don't eat. So that's why I do a uh, compressed eating window, you know, of uh, 18 hours a day, and and every once in a while do an extended fast. But I, I was on uh, this friend of mine, Yogi Cameron. I was speaking with him the other day, and he's talking about these yogis who who do. Uh, you know, 10 and 15 and 20 day fasts and like, okay, that's a bit much. I would not recommend my readers, uh, you know, engage in that. And yet these guys emerge from those fasts, you know, healthy and alert and bright and they don't lose a lot of muscle mass. And I suspect, first of all, it's because they have, they have become so metabolically efficient that they probably only need, and oh, and the fact that they're not doing 30 Mets worth of exercise, they're not, you know, training for marathons, they're kind of doing slow stuff, that, that they're, they, take it easy. they take it easy, their, their bodies are probably only using eight to 900 calories a day, you know, they've, they've slowed their heart rate down, they've slowed their breathing down, they've slowed the metabolism down, meanwhile, they become so efficient at extracting calories from stored body fat, that they've, they've basically entered this closed loop system, where with no food coming in, and enough stored body fat, and you don't need much, you know, you some of the fat becomes combusted as fuel. Some of the fat goes to become ketones to fuel the brain. The glycerol gets spun off to make whatever glucose you need. It's a very elegant, potentially closed loop for days at a time. And so for people who are thinking about 
well, I, you know, I would fast, except I don't want to lose all my muscle tissue. That doesn't happen when you're fully keto. Yeah, you tend to conserve your amino acids pretty efficiently. And and the amino acids that you do sacrifice and metabolize are actually from these senescent cells and these proteins that are damaged that your body can't get rid of. So you want to remove those. This dangerous tissue that your body is has been previously unable to eliminate and you clean out your system, take out the garbage. Exactly. Um, yeah. So are you are you doing um, cyclic ketogenesis now? Or? I, I do. So I, I have a restricted eating window of about 20 hours. So I only eat for four hours a day. And then once a month, I'll fast for five days, water fast. Now people are going to say, well, geez, Joe, that takes a lot of discipline. How can you how can you no, go 20 yeah, hours without right. eating? I mean, geez, <laughs> that's like, wow, aren't you hungry all the time? Tell me. No, no. It's the, it's the metabolic magic that occurs when you fast and you can have that metabolic flexibility to burn fat for fuel. So you, the, the hunger, the cravings just disappear. It really does. Now, there, there's a minor tweak that I have on your recommendations because we're in agreement on the, on the intermittent fasting. But you know, the timing is key, especially with the circadian rhythm. And I, and I know probably because of your, your social structure that you tend to eat later. It's like I stop my last meal about three or four o'clock in the afternoon and I think yours is like seven. But, you know, if you could keep it between three or four hours before you go to bed, I think you're going to be better because you don't really want to be generating ATP when you're sleeping and you don't need it. And, you know, most of the time, especially in the winter, you're going to be, ideally you're going to be sleeping at nine o'clock because it gets dark pretty early in yeah. the winter. Yeah. I mean, um, for me, it, it is a social thing. And uh, I usually go to bed around 10, 30 or 11. So I do have – and I eat, I, I eat mm-hmm. quickly when I eat. So if I eat at seven, I'm done, I'm done by <laughs> 730. So, you know, I have three – Three and a half hours before I go to sleep. Good. Um, good. Yeah. And it, it's where it works. The, it's the window. Well, the it's key. the window. And and um, I was having a conversation with somebody else this morning about this. The fact that um, everybody, you know, has has different circadian rhythms, has different, um, right. you know, even right. their job uh, may dictate when the best time to uh, compress this eating window would be. Um, you know, uh, lots of lots of variables in our experimental one here uh, across the board. Um, let's see. So then, uh, well, go ahead. Oh, let, let me, let me give you one other tip that I didn't see in your book that I think many of your listeners would really enjoy. Uh, and it's a scenario that almost all of us encounter, certainly you and I, and then when we travel and we go and lecture and things, we're going to be exposed to regular food in the outside world, the ones that we don't have typically great control over. So one of the tips that I, and the, the most pernicious of course, is your protein, uh, uh, needs because it's easy to get a relatively healthy salad, but, but a salad, but to put a protein on that is going to be a challenge. Almost all the protein available in commercial restaurants, except maybe where you are in California, are are problematic. So I always travel with a cans of sardines, <laughs> and, and I use that as my primary protein source almost all the time. So it's a real easy tip, and you know, it, it, I think it would help your, many of your readers out. And, it, and it's a tremendous source of not only omega threes, but some of the other protect. Uh, beneficial uh, nutrients associated with it, like resolvins and protectants, which are also potently anti-inflammatory. You and D'Agostino and and um, Ferris and Rob Wolf all like the sardines, the canned sardines. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's a handy little handy little snack. Um, yeah. So so um, let's let's divert a little bit into um, another area that you've recently um, decided to explore in detail and depth. And that's the EMF world. Although I'm, I know you've been talking about this for a long time, but recently you've come up with some, maybe some new insights. Yeah. Um, first of all, I have to say that you know between the EMFs and uh, and uh, you know the the way 
the concern you have about food, I got this. Uh, like, do I have to take my shoes off and wipe my hands with Purell when I come to your house? Uh, uh, <laughs> no way. I try. You okay. know, I really. What I really appreciate about you is your relaxed attitude towards things, and you don't have to be an orthorexic, obsessive, compulsive about things. You just got to hit it in the ballpark, and your body will take care of the rest. So no, no, you have to relax about okay. it. Okay, no, but I mean, I, and I obviously I'm joking, but I, but you know, w- when we uh, when we met up at the Bulletproof Convention, and a number of people came up to us and wanted to have their photograph taken with us, and and uh, your first your first move is to make sure that their phone was on was on airplane mode. Yes. And I found that fascinating. Well, and that was only because I'm trying to teach them. You know, the the, the word doctor in, in Latin means teacher. And, you know, it, the, the, the minimal minimization of the EMF exposure of them putting their phone in airplane mode is, is relatively insignificant because we're exposing the sea of EMF in that environment. But I'm just trying to teach them to get out of the habit of knowing that, yes, I can take pictures when my, when my phone is in airplane mode, that I don't have to expose myself to this dangerous radiation. So one of the reasons I got into EMF, I mean, as you mentioned, I've been warning people about this for a long time. But Mark, I was arrogantly ignorant. I thought somehow because I was a former athlete uh, and really in great shape and was eating a healthy diet that somehow I was biologically immune to the damage for that. But I couldn't be more wrong. This EMF is damaging each and every one of us if we don't pay attention to it. So, And how does it do it? Ultimately – mitochondrial function. It impairs it and just decimates them through a, a serious oxidative stresses. So let's, let's start from the beginning for the readers who, or the listeners who are not, um, you know, aware of EMFs, what they are, where they are, um, how, you know, how pervasive they are. And, and then we can get into the mechanism by which these uh, peroxynitrates. Sure. Get, uh, yeah. Well, EMF is an acronym, of course. It stands for electromagnetic fields, and essentially it describes three broad-based types of fields that we're exposed to. One is radio fields, radio, excuse me, radio frequency fields, like uh, obviously radio TV, but also microwaves that carry our cell phone signals and Wi-Fi uh, signals. Uh, and then we have electric fields, which are a much lower frequency, and then static magnetic fields. So the, there's typically different types of meters for each one of those. But I've got a question for you that I think will help put things into proper perspective. And that is, 100 years ago, at the end of World War I, 1917, there was a certain basal level of EMF exposure in the radio frequency range, say about one gigahertz. So if we were to take that level and compare it to where we are now today as we're recording this, how much of an increase do you think we've had in the last 100 years at one gigahertz? Well, I mean, I would just um, off the top of my head, it would have to be several orders of magnitude because there was, you know, I, what was it, telegraph then and maybe a little bit of electricity and that was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and And probably no transformers. So so that I mean, and and is that one gigahertz? Is that just like ambient? Um, that's not even account. Yeah, ambient. What would be right. natural? Natural in the in the solar right. system in the Earth? You know, what was around a yeah, hundred yeah. okay. years I ago? Mean, I mean, it's it's probably some number like uh, you know a thousand or a million. But go ahead, tell me what it is. Yeah, a thousand or a million. Well, you're only off by 15, 15 orders of magnitude. Yeah, yeah, okay. I it, it's a yeah. it's a billion billion. Yeah. Hardly, I, I've lectured to groups of a few thousand people, and no one's ever gotten it right. The closest someone has come is a billion, but no one ever guesses a billion billion. So there's an enormous, and you know, one of the things I also like about you is that we, we, we resonate on the same principles. To I call it the rap. 
replicate ancestral practices. So one of the practices is 100 years ago, and certainly well before then, we didn't have this exposure. Now we do. So how do we remediate that? Because we want to live in similar environments that our ancestors did if we're going to optimize our biochemistry and our genetics. So you, it, it, at the uh, Bulletproof Convention, you talked to me a little bit about how you set your bedroom up, for instance, because you spend you know, eight hours there or whatever uh, amount of time you spend there. Tell me about how... Hopefully eight hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because sleeping... And you, as you emphasize in your book, that is probably one of the most more important that I believe than exercise yeah. is to sleep well. Yeah, you've got to sleep well. So this is this is probably one of the most significant ways that EMF uh, influences its biological damage. And and the most important way, and then this is not my information, but there's a group of specialists in the country called building biologists. There's only a few hundred of them, but th- their full time responsibility is to go around and check out people's houses and find out what's what's causing them biological harm. And their consistent finding is that the electric fields from the wires behind their wall in their bedroom are causing them disruption of their sleep patterns and interfering with their ability to produce melatonin and also impair their ability to go into deep sleep, repair and restorative sleep. So fortunately, there's a simple solution and it's not, not that expensive. Flip the breaker. Flip the breaker. Now, this works for most people, but if you have a bedroom that has – it's right next to another room, um, whatever, on top, below you, on either side, then you may have to do some measurements ideally to make sure that that takes it off. Now, interesting, uh, when you're in a hotel, the commercial code requires that the electric wires be put in metal conduit, and the metal conduit actually uh, obliterates the electric fields. So all you have to do when you're in a hotel room is simply remove everything that's plugged into an outlet, and your electric fields almost always go down to zero. So wait a minute, metal conduit is enough to obliterate that or to to, to cause? Yes, yes. And, and and commercial building codes or building codes for commercial buildings require that because of safety reasons and fire. And in some very small communities, actually New York and Chicago, the trade unions got greedy and, and actually extended that to residential buildings so they could make more money. They had no idea that it was improving biological health. And I'm so grateful because I grew up in Chicago. I spent 55 years there and had some relative protection from these electric fields while I was growing up. I mean, I'm looking at my house. Yeah, I, I think all the building codes where, where we are call for um, metal conduit everywhere you go. Uh, if you do, please let me know because I don't think that's the case. As far as I know, in my understanding, it's only Chicago and New York. Yeah, what do you think, what do you think uh, they do to, to – uh, they're using Romex, that old uh, plastic-coated – That's exactly what they use, yeah. Romex. Yeah, no, that's yeah. – that's, in California, that's been long since. Look, that's <laughs> – you talk about okay, good. A, an overregulated state, right? So um, – that's one. that would be good. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but you got to check, and you know, it might even be worth going out and breaking open some of the uh, plasterboard and making. Oh, I know. That no, I'm, a, metal I'm, in a, I'm in a house. I'm in a brand new house. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to worry about myself. But, but you're right. Unplugging uh, some of the appliances. Uh, let's see what else. What have I? What have we overlooked? If we if we have this conduit, is your uh, what are the other sources? Well, that's for electric fields while you're sleeping, and then of course you're still being exposed to. Uh, Wi-Fi. The radio, yeah, Wi-Fi. So the, the common recommendation here, and I, I agree with it, is to turn off your Wi-Fi at night. You're not using your Wi-Fi at night. Why would you want to expose yourself? That's the most important part. So the other thing that building biologists tell me who do these careful evaluations is that almost everyone believes that the extra, extraneous EMFs in their house is coming from the outside in, when the reality is over 95% of the case, it's from 
self-generated EMS within your own house, which is a good news because you have total control over that. So you can remediate that easily. Right. So, so what are those sources? Obviously, your Wi-Fi router, definitely turn it off at night, but even better, more of a hassle factor, but if you value your, bio, your life uh, and your ability to live to, live to a long, healthy age, then you wire your house. And you don't, anything that's connected to the internet only gets that connection through a wire, an ethernet cord. So, so you do not have Wi-Fi signals in your house 24-7. That would be the ideal. Uh, but there's other sources of wireless, uh, which are some of them are relatively stealth, um, such as smart. Smart, you know, we know that diet or sugar-free is a code name for artificial sweeteners, right? Well, smart is a code name for wireless. <laughs> That's what it is. Smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and this goes for TVs. It's almost it's really really hard to buy a non-smart TV now. And most people don't know that when you turn your smart TV on. Unlike your computer, which you can turn in airplane mode and essentially eliminate the Wi-Fi signal, you cannot cannot do that with your TV. So every every moment you're spending in front of your TV, you're being radiated from Wi-Fi from your TV. That's exactly what they do. Jesus, Joe, it's depressing. Well, it's not depressing. It's easy to do. So what's the alternative? (laughs) You can get a computer monitor. They make really big computer monitors, and computer monitors don't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, and they'd have 4K HDR computer monitors now, so it's not a problem. Uh, what about um, outside your house? You live near power lines, or you, is that is that a wives' tale? Is there, it, it, is no, there no, a concern no, there? It, you know, the, it, that would be an electric field. That's not a radio mm-hmm. frequency field. And yes, the, the wider apart those arms are, you see, those, there's different uh, – it's like an electric cord, right, that you plug into the, into the wall. Well, it's the same thing on those wires except they separate them. And you can do this with your electric cord too. And if you separate those wires, you get a massive electric field. The further apart they are, the higher it goes. So usually though, if you're 100 yards away or more, it's going to be okay. But the only way to know for sure is to measure it. So. Right. Yeah, you got to right. measure. What it. about what about electric blankets? Same concept. Oh about- yeah, that's terrible. That's really is bad. Do There's people still few- use them? Yeah, they shouldn't be using them. You don't want any electricity in your bedroom at night. It should be you should have zero point zero volts per meter in yeah. your bedroom. Yeah, yeah that's the so last I- thing you want. Is electric blanket. Right. Dangerous as it should. They should be banned. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree for a lot of reasons. But um, uh, you and I talked a while back about cryo, about the chili pad, and this uh, sleeping this device you put on your mattress that can either cool your mattress or or could warm it up that might be an alternative to a to a um electric blanket if you're sure um and i think i told you that they tested uh zero emfs coming from the from the device Um, yeah yeah that that was good i just it it seemed like there was didn't cool it enough i couldn't get it go much below 75 yeah yeah you got you i know you got one of the beta things it was not really working well and we've we've got a whole new um, you know, series of those coming out in the next couple of months. I'll, I'll okay. be sure to send you one. You'll you'll love the new one. Um, yeah. So um, so how does what? So let's now talk about. Okay, we talked about the presence of these EMFs. Um, what is the mechanism by which they exert their insidious effects? This is really interesting because I, until I became motivated to to pursue this at a deeper level, partly because of my recent appreciation of the powerful or, or the importance of mitochondrial function, uh, I didn't. I start when I started doing a deep dive on it. I encountered a researcher who was out in the California, actually Washington. Is Dr. Martin Paul and P A L L, and anyone can type in his name in YouTube and type in EMF, and you'll find a dozen or more 
brilliant lectures he's given that elucidates on this in far greater detail. But briefly, uh, he put together a paper that was a seminal paper, which I think is almost a basis for a Nobel Prize and published four years ago in 2013, that describes a, a variety of other investigators, about two dozen, who had identified the use of calcium channel blockers in cell culture in small animal studies that, that and showed that it obliterated most of the damage from EMF exposure, which was just like incredible. So he, he put together this mechanism, which I, th I think has a lot of validity and most likely uh, is the cause of how EMFs uh, cause their damage is that these voltage-gated calcium channels, which are embedded in most of your cell membranes and are responsible for allowing calcium, which is pretty high inside the outside the cell in the blood and the serum and, and it, it allows it to go inside the cell and when it does that it's a very powerful signaling mechanism and normally those voltage-gated calcium channels respond to electrical signals that's how your body communicates your body you know we're electrical beings and this is one of the the, the the functions of that the problem is when you're exposed to emf it makes lets a lot more ions go in than than normally so much so that massive Ultimately, well, you, it increases the calcium ions to go in, which releases excess nitric oxide, combines with peroxynitrate, forms these uh, hydroxyl free radicals, uh, essentially causing massive oxidative stress, which damages the cellular contents, the mitochondria, the DNA, protein, cell membranes, and just causes all sorts of havoc. So uh, interestingly, this is an, a, a, a point that he, he actually he developed in, with some physics, because he's a physics major, or has a degree in physics, I think he's a PhD. Uh, he put together these three laws of physics and calculated that these calcium channel receptors and embedded in the cell membranes are 7.2 million times more sensitive to these radio frequency signals than the uh, ionized particles inside and outside the cell. Now, what does that mean? Interpretation of that is that the safety standards are based on this thermal effect, that they say the microwaves are heating you, which causes a, a vibration in those charged particles, and the only thing they're looking at is the heat or the vibration of the, those charged particles. They're not looking at the calcium channels. So that means the safety standards that are established for your cell phone and my cell phone are off by a factor of over 7 million. Seven million. Well, I mean, what's what's the practical implication of that? There's no way we can we can back out of that. We we can't back. You know what I mean? We've got such a a life that's that's uh, built around access to these devices that throw these off. Well, I, I would contend that that that's not the case. So you think you can you can you can you can float through life avoiding this stuff? Most of it. Now, you know, here's another interesting component. And I think Paul even describes this in that relatively small exposures, intermittently and infrequent, especially if you sleep at night without it, may have a hormetic might be a hermetic stressor, and it might actually yeah, make you healthier. Become her hermetic. So, and that's what I'm. Oh, I was going to say while, while, while you're talking, I, I realize I'm taking a calcium channel blocker. Am I uh, for my premature ventricular contractions? Uh, you need to talk offline about that because I've got a lot of things that I think you might be able to get rid of that. But but yeah. if you're going to choose a pharmaceutical drug that you're you are everything that we know so far, you're getting benefits and you're actually radically lowering your, your damage from, and from oxidative stress from these, these radio frequency signals. No wonder I feel so good. Or, um, but, but, but did, I don't, we, I don't know if we talked about this, Joe, but you know why I have these is because I ran my heart up to max four to five days a week for 25 years. And so I have, I have a you need to take this discussion offline. Cause I've got a lot of things I can share with you about this. Cause yeah. I, you know, I definitely have some 
insights that you will appreciate. And if you, if you want me to make another podcast on it, but, but uh, yeah, there's some things that could radically help you with this area. And there's no question. Yeah. The good news is every time I put on an HRV monitor, the monitor goes, Hey, you yeah, me, I know, tra- you're cheating. <laughs> I know it's cheating. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so what else? Let's, let's um, be sure we cover all the ground on these EMFs. What's the, well, the, the, the other the other stealth sources, and I'll tell you ways to immediately. Well, let's go, let's immediately address your concern that you know, there's no way to avoid it. Well, the the most important thing you can do is you you just never, 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 unless there's an absolute emergency, want to put your cell phone on your body unless it's in airplane mode. Mm-hmm. You are just asking for trouble. It is you've got to envision this as is a piece of hot metal that could burn you, and it, that's it's, even though it will thermally burn you, it will biologically burn you, guaranteed. No question. So always put an airplane mode if it's on your body. I take now. Is it lo- is that a localized burn or is that a systemic burn? No, we're talking about biologically burning up your mitochondria. I mean, oh, this- I understand, but it, but is it? But it, does it have a? No, it, it's it's it, local. It's it's directly okay. the, the radiation exposure decreases. You know, one over the square of the distance exponentially. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going. That's what I was getting at. So if I got it in my back pocket, then my ass is getting you got it. Uh, yeah, you know, radiate. Yeah, okay. Dave Asprey. I was on one of his podcasts, and he was sharing with me. He had this massively sensitive bone density test done, and and there was a decreased bone density in his, in his right hip, and that's exactly where he put his cell phone on. And he's like, whoop. <laughs> wow yeah so it, it wow that's yeah and the guys yeah. like ted kennedy and now john mccain you've got little bastomas and many many other people and why because they're using cell phones and they put their cell phone to their head that's the last thing you want to do so what what are the other alternatives always use a landline whenever you can i hardly ever use my cell phone the benefit of this mark is that literally when i go to recharge my phone the next day there's like 92 93 percent of my battery left because i'm always in airplane mode <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I never run out of battery. Interesting, right? And then you use it as a camera when it's in airplane mode too. So it's a it's a it's a great camera. You got to catch a Lyft or an Uber. That's fine. You put it on for a little minute. You need you know need to question Doctor Google about something. No problem. But most of the time it should be off. And you know, and there's a really really cool system that will allow you to do this relatively efficiently if you have access to wired. To, to wired internet is that for you you can hook up your cell phone to a, a service called umail y-o-u-mail doc, i think it's dot com and for free you can have call forwarding and activated so all of the your phone calls will be forwarded to umail and then you, they will email you a link a voice recording and a voice recording right so you can listen to it and it's along with the number and there's no charge for it it's really great interesting um yet another awesome hack uh, speaking of awesome hacks, so um, uh, well, I was going to get on to asking you what you know, what some of the like. Are you wearing the glasses at night? You know, are oh, you I, am, I absolutely do. But in my house, I don't need to. So you know, uh, I, I I only wear the yellow glasses if I'm in a room lecturing and they have uh, non incandescent lights like LEDs or uh, or yet fluorescence, which happens. So then I'll wear them in the daytime. But I tend to, and I wear them at night. Uh, if I really want to be di- diligent, I think the reds work. Mu- the red glasses work much better. They, they only, they, you see the world in red and white, but they biologically yeah, they're, yeah. they're they they really eliminate the melatonin suppression and, and any other negative influences from that. So, you know, and that's typically what I wear at night. But you know, my own home. Now I've got a big. I must have hundreds of bulbs in my home, but I only have half a dozen or maybe ten at the most that are incandescent bulbs. The bulbs that I would use all the time: my bathroom, my kitchen, my bedroom. Those are all incandescent, so I don't have any LED bulbs I use at night. I, I just you know that that's not a good idea because 
because uh, they're really high in blue and no red or near infrared. Do you have um, – oh, so yeah, speaking of which, so now the there's a move, uh, a, particularly in California, again, a, a wickedly overregulated state uh, with this um, Prop 9, Prop 21, I guess it's called, uh, energy conservation where uh, they want everybody to have LED lights throughout the house. Well, I thought that was actually a federal mandate. I thought that they uh, – Oh, maybe that's it, yeah. The incandescent yeah. bulbs were outlawed federally, and they – I mean there's just some few exceptions, so that makes the incandescents really expensive unless you go on uh, eBay and try to find them still – Get them for but, but an, antique, an antique one from 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. No, you can still get them for a dollar <laughs> if you go to places like eBay. Yeah. But, you know, they're becoming harder and harder to find. Yeah. Um, do you have a fireplace in your house? No, I don't. I'm not opposed to it. You know, I guess you can have I – mean, I don't need it. I live in Florida, so it's not a big deal for that. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. yeah. No, we um, – you know, we uh, – my wife and I finish our day with uh, a soak in the jacuzzi and then I get into our pool which is unheated right now it's about 50, uh, it's about 65 degrees right now wow um, how long are you staying there uh well when it's 65 I, I stand for like four or five minutes but when it's um 48 in the middle of winter or 52 um you can bet it's uh you know about two minutes um because <laughs> yeah but this is this is the last thing I do before I go to bed so I I get really really that's cold nice that's go really bed. good but that's my, Really good. I appreciate that. But my but my point is we have a fire pit outside. So what we do for our jacuzzi is we we turn off all the lights in the house and we live in a in an unlit neighborhood. So it's it's pitch black unless the moon's out. Uh, and then we have a fire in the you know, fire pit right next to the to the pool and jacuzzi. So it's like we're trying to you know, obviously recreate that that ancestral pattern of uh, going to sleep by the you know by the sure. firelight. But uh, I that's that's my way instead of wearing the orange glasses. That's my way of sort of starting the melatonin well, onset. Well, no, the, I, the, the, I don't think you have any problems with that at all because that's not artificial light. That's real light. That's thermal light. Yeah. That's the light that we've exposed exactly. to for ages. Yeah. So there's no danger yeah, no, of that that's at my, all. No, that, I mean, that, that's my point. Yeah, that's, that, that's the yeah, natural that, orange that's and red light. light. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I do a little – I look a little bit different thing. I do my in, near far infrared sauna in the morning. Then I jump in my pool. Now my pool is about 68, 70, but it will go down to the high 40s in the winter. Yeah. So uh, I'm getting ready for – I try to do like five, six laps in the pool. So. Yeah. No, it's – it's. Uh, I, love, I love the cold as the last thing uh, to uh, bring my temperature down. I seem to fall asleep faster as a result, a result of that. Uh, so anything else we need to know about um, mitigation or remediation on EMFs? Yes, yes. Just like your calcium channel blocker, what do you think is the natural equivalent of that? I don't know. You tell me, Joe. It's a mineral. That's a hint. Okay. Yeah, okay. Quartz or uh... – No, no, no. Mag- mag- magnesium. Oh, mag- taking magnesium. Okay. All yeah, right. it's, it's the magnesium. I thought, you're nat- d- I thought you were going to talk about like a quartz degaussing thing or something. No, 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 no. Just okay. magnesium. So most all of us are deficient in magnesium. You know, and you uh, the, the, ideally you want to check your red blood cell magnesium, which is a lot more accurate. You don't want to measure serum magnesium, and you'll find that you're probably low. And you know, so I recommend the the, the RDA is 400 milligrams of elemental ca- uh, magnesium, but you know, most people want to be taking between one and two grams. It's kind of like the original RDAs for for vitamin D, which were yeah. 400 units, yeah, which figure. is crazy. If you, yeah. if you take it, you're going to need a few thousand most likely. Now, I don't take, I don't take any vitamin D for 10 years because I get mine from the sun. Yeah, and by the way, mag- speaking of magnesium, if you're keto, uh, you probably need more magnesium than most uh, because there is a mineral depletion that kind of happens naturally on a keto eating strategy. Oh, let me give you let me give you two tips for if you do decide to do water fasting because you're inspired and, and catalyzed. Don't take magnesium when you're water fasting. You will have disaster yeah, pants. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but take your salt. You know, take a lot of salt because you don't right. want to get those intractable 
debilitating leg cramps at night. Yeah, well, and that's I think that's the reason that I do get cramps when I'm uh, deep keto is is not enough magnesium. But but it's not while I'm uh, you know it's not during fasting. It's just normal eating patterns. So magnesium, taking magnesium, and you're suggesting maybe a thousand milligrams a day of magnesium for some people. Oh, elemental. So it's not you know, 250 milligrams of magnesium three and eight, four times a day, you got to look at the elemental version of that. So there's a lot of ones like magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, malate, orotate, a lot of different types of magnesium. And I take a a combination of four or five different ones. So Right. Yeah. And that's because the body absorbs it differently in different, different patterns. I mean, I'm, I, I take uh, three different forms of vitamin D for the same reason. I don't just take colocalciferol. Um, Same, same kind of concept. Um, anything else on the remediation of EMS? Well, what's coming out, and I'm, I'm actually doing research with Dr. Zach Bush. I just went up to his uh, facility this last week uh, and met with his researchers in, in looking at the use of molecular hydrogen, which is a, a selective antioxidant. Uh, it's, some of it's on the market now, but the newer and better stuff is going to probably be coming out early next year uh, that can actually help mitigate that. And, and also, uh, you know, these EMF exposures, I neglected to mention earlier, is probably even more dangerous than ionizing radiation. At least most of the ones we're exposed to, like when you're flying or when you get in a conventional X-ray, that the EMF damage, even though the, the ionizing radiation uh, has enough energy to actually directly break covalent bonds in your DNA structure, and uh, the Wi-Fi radiation doesn't, but the, the, the Wi-Fi radiation causes still causes more damage because it's the secondary free radicals that bust up the DNA, not only with the, the the radio frequencies, but also with the ionizing radiation. So there's yes, there's some damage from breaking it directly, but it's mostly the secondary eye, uh, the uh, free radical damage that causes the breaks. Well, so how much of our immune system is um, uh, ready, willing, and able to handle that damage if you're if you're otherwise healthy? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I don't know that anyone knows the precise answer to that, but other than I mean, the point being, Joe, that that otherwise, like, why don't we have like a thousand times the cancer that we have right now, even though oh, that's right. Or, or why, why are elderly people dropping like flies? That's a good question. Yep. You know, so it's probably a combination of different, different components. And, you know, we, some of the research that we're going to be pursuing is the use of looking at insulin resistance as being a contributing factor, which you mentioned earlier, but also glyphosate. So adding glyphosate, magnesium deficiency, insulin resistance, and some of these others. And it may be a cumulative effect, Mark, because we only had this exposure relatively recently. Recency, they didn't go back. We just started in 1917. The, m- virtually no one listening to this had a cell phone in 1995. It's most, most of the people were this century. That's like 15 years ago they've had a cell phone. So just like smoking, this is a chronic stress. It's not going to kill you in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. It's going to kill you over decades. So it takes a while to be exposed to it and, and, and you, before you start reaping the benefits of this type of exposure. Right. So that's interesting. So you're suggesting that um, in addition to uh, – and maybe I wasn't um, understanding or hearing correctly, but so like glyphosate, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, the cumulative effects of, of uh, insulin resistance, uh, that's too much sugar uh, that ultimately results in some sort of insulin resistance or uh, too much exposure to omega-6 uh, processed oils that sure. also have their effect on membrane levels. Absolutely. Uh, so the cumulative effect of all this could be, could be like synergistically bad, like each one of these on its own. Yeah, it's bad, but but uh, when you compound them and they compound the, the potential for danger, there's a there's some real issues here that uh, we need to look at. Yeah, even and, but even if you just go back to the simple basics that we both agree on, the sleep is one of the most profoundly important things that you could possibly do for your health. And if you're impairing your sleep with this exposure to electric fields in your bedroom at night, I mean, why would you risk that? 
I mean, when you can sleep better and healthy. Well, that's the thing I'm, I'm uh, hearing from a couple of people who've said they've done this, that they, they literally sleep better. And um, that's intriguing to me because I'm always in search of better sleep. Uh, well, and, and, and that's, an, that's a subjective interpretation, but you can actually get some objective tools like that, the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A. Yeah, you and I talked pretty, about that. I told you it told me. Pretty accurately measures. Well, it told what? me three nights in a row I got zero deep sleep. I'm like, I'm um, not, nah, whoa. No, 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 no. Yeah. You really did get zero deep sleep because it was telling me the same thing. And once I biohacked it, I could, like, it was getting up to an hour. So wow. I believe it because they, they've they've studied they they've done correlations with the sleep lab in Stanford, so there's a there's like a ninety five percent correlation. So I believe the data, and it's not a you know if you're a biohacker you're crazy not to get an aura ring. The only concern is that you have to keep it in airplane mode, which is relatively easy to do. Right. Uh, you right. know you do not want that thing on all, broadcasting Wi Fi at you all day. Well, that's so there's there therein lies the rub. What other wearables are you using in your regular life? That's the only one. It's just the aura ring. Okay. What do you think about the wearables? What do you think about this whole? Um, you know? I, I think I, I like I like to 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 know what my sleep is, and and from the perspective of exercise too, because like you, I've been a lifelong athlete. In fact, you may not know this, but I have a lifetime subscription to Runner's World that I got <laughs> in 1975 from Bob Anderson. Yeah, you got it from Bob Anderson when he ran yeah, the publication. It was a hundred dollars, Mark, yeah, for the rest of your it. life. <laughs> it, tra- it, it it went through Rodale. It went through all the other publishers. And, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I used to I used to actually go down to their offices in uh, Mountain View. Um, yeah, constantly. exactly yeah. where they were. Yeah. So I, cool. so anyway, so as the, the, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but if anyone's interested in exercise, like a large percentage of your audience are, then it gives you this ability to monitor your HRV, your sleep patterns, and come up with a cumulative score to tell you this is not a day that you should be working out hard. This is a yeah. relaxed day, rest day. So but that's, shouldn't that's you, but shouldn't you know that intuitively? Ideally, but not all of us are as smart as you, Mark. Uh, I like the way you put that. Uh, you know, and that, but I, I will say that that's my mission with Mark's Daily Apple is to teach people to ultimately become intuitive. And if that involves using tools in the, in the beginning to establish baselines and see how you feel at those baselines, then so be it. Uh, I used to use a heart monitor to, um, in my training, but, but mostly to keep me honest, to keep me from going over a certain heart rate, right? And it was, but after a while, I got comfortable at that heart rate. I knew what that heart rate was. I didn't need to look down at a watch to, to, to um, you know, to keep myself honest. I could, I could then proceed intuitively. But that's kind of what I'm, how I look at the world. I, I, I'd much rather just make these decisions on the fly, without referring to some, you know, set of numbers. I could just me. No, I think that's the ideal. There's no question about it. But it helps, just like training wheels. You know, when you can have this feedback that tells you. That that this is this is you're not didn't do well, and you can ob- right. obviously override it if it tells you did well and you don't believe it, then you'd listen to your body. So we're running out of time here. Anything else that you ne- that you would like to tell uh, my listeners? Um, uh, you and I are going to pick up this conversation in a couple of weeks anyway, um, and and extend it from there. But but uh, anything you want to like bring up or or uh, address with me before we sign off? Well, I, I just want to emphasize the two big things that I believe are really important to consider that most people aren't considering now, and that is one is that the most powerful metabolic intervention that I've ever seen in my clinical practice of coming up on 40 years now is fasting. I mean, it just does everything beneficial for your body. You don't want to do it all at once. You want to, just like you say in your book, Keto Reset, you want to do it gradually. And I found, you know, most people invariably, if 
you talk to people on a fast, it's almost always the second day they're massively hungry. But if you do the intermittent fasting, I say go get it down to a four-hour window where you have 20-hour daily fast for a month. In my experience, when I do my water fast, I have no hunger the entire five days. None. Not even a day two, three, or whatever. There's no hunger. Yeah, you got to set yourself up for success. I mean, I've told people for the longest yeah. time, you know, a lot of the research on fasting has been done with sugar burners. And it's like, how do they do that? Because, I, <laughs> you know, if you're not fat, ad- if you're not fat adapted, how can you possibly overcome the hunger pangs? If you are fat adapted and keto adapted, the hunger becomes a non-issue the whole time. Yeah. Um, so, Absolutely. Um, and then, and, then the, and the other thing is, is don't be arrogantly ignorant and delusional like I was up until this the earlier this year, and think that you are somehow biologically immune to EMFs. They will take you out early. They will compromise your health. And get serious about it. And if you don't believe me, do your own research. There's a lot of studies out there. But also recognize that the telecommunications industry is far more powerful than big pharma and big food. They dwarf them on orders of magnitude. So that all the almost all the science is, is is really uh, manipulated in, in the published science. But if you but if you search hard, and there's some good books out there, and I'm in the, actually in the process of writing a book called The EMF Extinction because it's a major contributing factor for Alzheimer's and autism. Um, you know, it just takes out both ends and an infertility in the middle. So, uh, you know, it's a big deal, and I, my book's not going to be out for until 2019, though. Well, powerful discussion points today from uh, wellness champion and visionary, Joe Mercola. Um, Joe, thanks for hanging out with us today. It was a very informative discussion, uh, lively, and, and prompting a lot of uh, 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 you know, eyebrow raising on my part that I'm going to follow up. <laughs> I'm going I'm to follow up on it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for all you've done and continue to do and for inspiring me to understand the basics of burning fat for fuel because it was really a, a massive uh, change in my thinking. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.